0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will study tonight uh, the Gospel of Saint Matthew, chapter 13, starting from verse 31. This chapter is one of the most important chapters in the scripture, because it has many parables. Actually it has seven parables that the Lord Jesus Christ explained and after he mentioned the parable he emphasized it, as we will explain uh, tonight on the importance of these parables. Uh, that's why we need to read and reread and reread and study these parables and understand the message in them because they are very essential for our spiritual growth. So we will read uh, uh, verse 31 and verse 32 which is the parable of the mastered seed. The Lord said another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mastered seed, which is which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. In this chapter, actually from verse 1 to verse 30, the Lord spoke about two parables. One parable is the parable of the sewer and the four types of the land, and the other parable is the parable of the wheat and tares. And actually, in the second section, the Lord will interpret uh, this parable, the wheat and tares. But these two parables, the first and second one, the Parable of the Sower and the Parable of the Wheat and tares, actually uh, explain to us the condition of the Gospel Church, the condition of the Gospel Church state until the end of the world. How during our life, until the end of the world, people in receiving the Word of God can be classified into four types, that's the four uh, lands and also we can see how the wheat and tares grow together in the world until the second coming of Christ where or when he will separate the wheat from the tares. But this parable, the Master Seed, is the representation of progress of the Gospel in the whole world. How? The Gospel started in Jerusalem among maybe 120 followers of the Lord Jesus. This was actually the small mustard seed. And now we can see the Church of God spread all over the world. The whole world now knew Christ. And we can see how the Church of God, which started in Jerusalem as a small mustard seed, now it's like a big tree, and the birds of the earth nest under its branches. So this parable shows the beginning of the Gospel. would be small, but its latter end would greatly increase. But this parable does not only explain how the Church will grow in the world, but also explain how the grace of God grows within me. Representation of the growth of the grace in the soul. That grace which leads the soul to the fullness of glory may begin, and often does, in a single good desire. Then it will grow within the person until it, it reaches the greatest strength and usefulness for example it may start by a desire to go to church then by attending the church regularly then this grace start to grow until actually it spread in the whole uh, areas of the person and the grace of God actually will lead the whole areas uh, of the person. So it may start within me as a single desire, but it will grow until it reaches its fullness and great strength within the person. And here actually there is a clear contrast between the small beginning Of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and its future expansion to encompass the whole earth. And it became like a tree, shelters all who come to dwell in the household of Christ which is the church. Every troubled soul, every needy person, when he is seeking grace, He comes to nest under the branches of this tree which is the Church of God. Many people actually drift away, but when they get in trouble or they find that they don't have peace within their hearts, the first thing they may consider is the Church because that is the tree under which, under its branches, we find shadow, we find rest, and we like to nest there. As St. Amproseus and St. Jerome and St. Augustine said, The Gospel of Christ compared in this verse to the grain of mustard seed has indeed little show of magnificence and human greatness. So this mustard seed, Maybe nobody will pay attention to it. It has no magnificence, and it's not great in our sight. St. Paul called the cross of Christ, St. Paul calls it a scandal to the Jews, an stumbling blow to the Gentiles. But Jesus Christ here assures us that when it has been spread and promul- promulgated, by his ambassadors, us, his children, by his ambassadors, the apostles, it shall surpass every other mode of instruction, both in fame and extent. It will be the greatest greatest tree in the whole earth. The second parable actually is similar to the first parable, which is the parable of the leaven, leaven, verse 33. Another parable, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. In scripture actually, the same thing, can be uh, a symbol of something good or a symbol of something bad, it depends on the context. For example, the lion in many verses in the Bible represents the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion who came from the tribe of Judah, but actually St. Peter said about Satan, your enemy is like a roaring lion so based on the context the lion can represent the Lord Jesus Christ or also can represent the devil in the same way, leaven leaven in many verses in the Bible has negative image and it represents sin that's why there was a feast, a Jewish feast, called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Removing the leaven means actually removing sin. But in this parable, the leaven is is representing the Kingdom of God. So as I explained, the same thing, leaven, based on the context, can have a negative meaning, like represents sin, or represent the church. It, it it depends on the context. As the master seed, it's very small, but became a huge tree. So the living is very small, and we can hide it in uh, in the flower. But actually, it spread. It spread in the whole uh, do. So this parable declared to us that the gospel will spread and uh, the faithfulness in the heart would greatly increase. But why the Lord repeated two parables with the same meaning? The master seed actually is about the external, the outward expansion we see it from outside, but the living is about the inward expansion within us. So, the Gospel of God is both expanding externally and internally. Master seeds about the external expansion, the living is about the internal uh, expansion, or the inward growth of the kingdom. The woman here in this parable represents the Church as an instrument that puts the living in our heart. And as the living works silently and without seeing it, actually the Word of God inside us works silently and without being seen yet strongly and without noise. That's actually how the Holy Spirit works in us. Uh, Look at the early church, the apostles in their ministry, or St. Mark when he came to Egypt, by preaching the gospel as if they hid a handful of living in the great mass of mankind. So when St. Mark came to Egypt as if he hid this small amount of living among the Egyptians, but it was made powerful by the Spirit of God, who works and nothing can hinder it, and in a few years Christianity spread all over Egypt, not only in the number, but also in its strength, and we can see how Egypt offered many martyrs to God, and monasticism started in Egypt. School of Alexandria and theology grew in Egypt. The uh, early church fathers like St. Athanasius St. Cyril, all these great scholars uh, like Clement of Alexandria, like Origen, they grew in Egypt. So here we can see the master seed, how Egypt became Christian, and also the inner strength, how we have great fathers among the Egyptians. That is the uh, parable of the living. So, this parable is about the work of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Uh, When the Gospel comes into the soul, it does actually a thorough change, a complete change in the life of the person. We can see how St. Paul, when he accepted the Gospel of Christ, how he totally changed after he was a blasphemer and persecutor now he became persecuted after he was harsh with uh, hardness of heart he saw St. Stephen being martyred and his heart was not moved but we can see how now he developed a very tender heart so that is the change that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit produces in our hearts, it it changes us completely. Even it changes our uh, members of the body. As Saint Paul said, "You are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit abiding in you." So we can see the hidden level, though only small quantity, but passes on its qualities to the large mass, large uh, and big group of people. So this parable teaches us that the gospel is the living influence of the world. It has influence over the world. Saint Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. That's why every now and then he, from the Old Testament, he used verses or prophecies to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So now actually in verse 34 and 35, we will see how Saint Matthew referred to prophecies in the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 34 and 35, all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable He did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled. Look here, he wants to say, in Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Why the Lord used parables to speak to them? There are many reasons, but I would mention two reasons. But here actually, we, we read that without parable he was not speaking to them. In verse 34, without a parable he did not speak to them. Actually, we cannot take this verse in a very abstract way, because the Sermon on the mountain He did not use parable in this sermon, but it means in this occasion, in in this meeting, he did not use any plain discourse, he did not use any direct teaching, but in this session actually he used only uh, parables to teach them, so uh, he refrained from direct teaching also, he refrained from interpreting the parables. He only interpreted the first parable, which is the parable of the soul. But the second parable he did not interpret to the multitude, neither the third or the fourth parable. Why he spoke in parables? The first reason he spoke in parable, because there was a great opposition for his teaching by the religious leaders of Israel, by the Pharisees and the chief priests. So, they showed a lot of hostility and rejection and opposition to his teaching. That's why the Lord reacted to them the same way the prophets in the Old Testament reacted to the rejection of the message of God. When people are not willing to listen to the message of God, God actually will hide this message from them, because they are not willing to accept it. They despise the message of God. That's why He started to speak to them in parables. But another reason why the Lord spoke to them in parables, He wants us, He wants to teach us contemplation and meditation. How we can look at the things around us and then learn from them heavenly and divine-inspired lessons from nature around us. All these parables like, you know, the leaven, the mustard seed, the wheat, the terns, the the parable of the sower, the different type of the ground, So he wants to train us, when actually use or when we see a tree or when we we see the land or when we go as the parable of the fishermen now, he wants us always to uh, go beyond what we see, go and transcend our minds into heavenly things. So he wants to raise our minds from natural things to uh, heavenly things. As we say, divine things cannot be taught to man except through the medium of earthly things. So, these earthly things can be used as a medium to understand and to interpret heavenly things. This court, I will open my mouth with parables that the the verse in 35 I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things kept secret uh, um, from the foundation of the world it is taken from Psalm 78 verse verse 2 Psalm 78 verse 2 and again St. Matthew here is using this verse to say that in Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament then actually verse 36 then jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying explain to us the parable of the tares of the field he told them this parable earlier so we can understand this chapter has two sessions one session with the multitude. In this session, the Lord said four parables. The parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. So these four parables He mentioned to the multitude. And He interpreted only one parable, which is the parable of the sower. Then He dismissed the multitude. So now we have the second session. second session is only between Jesus and the twelve. Nobody there. In this session, he interpreted the parable of the wheat and tares, and also he told them three more parables. But these three parables were not told to everybody, were told only to the twelve. So now actually, are in the second, meeting or in the second session in chapter thirteen. After he dismisses the multitude, went to the house, now he has like a private meeting with his twelve disciples. So they told them uh, explained to us the parable of the tears of the field. Let me tell you so, uh, quickly this parable so when we read the explanation to understand the parable. The parable is mentioned uh, in verse uh, 24. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. man sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tears also appeared. So now we have wheat and we have tears grown together. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tears? because the man saw only good seed. So, they didn't know that the enemy came while people were sleeping. So they asked him from where these stairs uh, came. He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servants said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But the Lord refused. He said, no. Lest, while you gather up the tears you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, which is the end of the world, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tears, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, the interpretation of this parable, verse 37. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Christ. Of course, he only sows good seed. The field is the world, and the good seeds are the son of the kingdom. So he planted the seed, which is the gospel. When this seed actually start to grow, in us, in the world, in those who accepted the good seed, they became the wheat. So the children of the kingdom, the believer, the faithful believers are the wheat. But the tillers are the sons of the wicked one. So. Satan planted sin, bad thoughts, in the heart of the people. And those who accepted this, they grew to be the terrorists in the world. The enemy who sought them is the devil. And God said, let them grow together. So we see here, actually, in the world, the the children of the kingdom and the children of Satan are grown together. And God refused to uproot the children of the wicked one because He wants to give them opportunity to repent. He is so patient with them. So He gives them opportunity to repent. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And the Lord commented and said in verse 40, Therefore, as the turrets are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. So, first, God will gather the sinners, those who refused and rejected His message, they actually will be gathered first, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, after this, the righteous, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So, we also will be glorified. Do you remember the Transfiguration? How Moses and Elijah also will appear in glory with Christ. So, we also will shine like sun in the kingdom of their father. Then he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, here is actually a message to us to pay attention to this parable, and learn. So, what do we learn from this parable, the parable of the wheat and tares? Actually, there is a message here about the patience of God. And uh, 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 that He is giving us, the sinners, opportunity to repent. Actually, He is waiting for us, and He is patient for us, waiting for the sinners to repent uh, and those actually who reject Christ they will uh, be punished uh, or will suffer from eternal perdition and eternal uh, torment. So the theme of this parable, two things to reflect the patience of God and also to to give us a message about the inevitable final judgment. For the sinners, they will be thrown into the fire, and the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of God. And I like here how the disciples came to the Lord, telling Him, explain to us this parable. I hope we do the same when we read the scripture, and we find some verses difficult to understand or some chapters difficult to understand let us get on our knees before God and let's ask him in secret like when he went to the house so in our inner room let us get on our knees and pray and to ask God actually to explain to us the mysteries of his word and the mysteries of the scripture when we come to Him frequently and with fervent prayer in our inner room, God will enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand His Word. And the Lord says, the Kingdom of Heaven is likened to a man sowing good seed in his field, the sower is Christ himself, and the good seed is the Word of God, as seen in its fruit, the followers of Christ, and the wheat raised from the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The field, as the Lord said, is the world and the tares are those actually who are under the influence of the devil, the wicked one. And I want you, you to notice here how the enemy is represented in a, as a deceitful enemy. What do I mean a deceitful enemy? He appears like a friend, but actually he deceives. The main tool that Satan is using is deception. He is a liar, and father of every liar. And he uses lies to deceive the people. So the devil is a friend in appearance, uh, but he is marketing sin by promising pleasure, happiness, honor, and riches. And here the Lord made a clear contrast between the children of the kingdom and the children of the wicked one. And the Lord is saying there is no middle ground. You are either the son of God or son of the world. You cannot be somewhere in the middle. So people in the world are either children of God or children of the wicked one, which means if a person is not a child of the kingdom of Jesus, then he chose to be a child of Satan. We can see here about the power of the Son of God, he is God, and at the end he will send his angels at the time of harvest, end of the world, to reap, to take actually the fruit, his children so he has power in heaven and on earth because he will send his angels to the earth Uh, and his kingdom actually is the whole earth but much of it is held still by the enemy but the enemy, the devil will be conquered at the end so Jesus Christ will prevail finally after he will subdue under his feet his enemies. There is emphasis that the righteous and the wicked will remain together here on earth. And there is no instruction or commandment to the righteous to destroy the wicked, but actually to, to be patient with them and try to lead them to repentance. So, The wicked and the righteous will be mixed together until the judgment day, and then all shall be gathered at the throne of judgment. Everybody will stand before God. Righteous will inherit the kingdom of God, and they will shine like the sun. The wicked will be cast out of the kingdom. So there is an eternal separation shall take place between the uh, wicked and the righteous. Verse 44, as I told you, the Lord, when He met with the twelve, only with the twelve, He added three more parables. These three parables were not taught to the multitude, but only to the twelve. The first parable, verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. The hidden treasure is the gospel of Christ, which leads to the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord here, why He said this parable to the twelve? The will actually represent this man who sold everything in order to win or to acquire this treasure Peter, Andrew, Matthew, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel all the disciples, they left everything and they followed Christ and here Christ is emphasizing to them that what you did not to be regretted. You made the right choice because the gospel of the kingdom is actually has, it's priceless in its value. You cannot describe its value. It's beyond our comprehension. So is assuring them that by leaving everything and acquiring the gospel of Christ, you may actually the good choice and the right decision. So, those who found the gospel of the kingdom should purchase it at the expense of everything else. Peter said to the Lord, we have left families, we have left children, we have left wives, left everything in order to follow you. And the Lord told them, whoever forsake anything for me will be rewarded hundred times here on earth with suffering and, at the end, eternal life. Uh, Those who search the scripture so as in them to find Christ and eternal life will discover such treasure in the scripture and makes unspeakably valuable they make it their own upon any terms. So once you find Christ and the message of Christ and the eternal salvation in the scripture, you will acquire it and you will be able to forsake everything for Christ. Saint Paul in his letter to Philippians, he said, and whatever gain I had, I consider it a loss, that I may win Christ and be found in him. He lost everything for Christ, but he considered it rubbish in order to win Christ and be found in Him. Although nothing can be given as a price for our salvation, yet much must be given up for the sake of it. You need actually to give up, not as a price, because nothing can purchase your eternal salvation but this giving up show the interest in acquiring this hidden treasure. The second parable which actually is similar to this one in verse 45 and 46 Again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought. It. Uh, so this parable actually is like the first uh, parable about the value of the kingdom, that its prices. So when uh, the convicted sinner see Christ As the gracious savior, then everything else will be worthless to him. Any sinner, when the Holy Spirit convicts him, and when I see that I need a savior, and here is Christ offering me free salvation because of His grace, actually I need to go and sell everything else in order to acquire this uh, pearl of great price. So, eternal salvation from sin and its consequences is the supreme good of man. And this should be sought after above all things and prized beyond all that God has made. Uh, We, the children of Christ, are like the merchant who found this pearl And when we discovered Christianity, when we discovered Christ, our Savior, actually we came to Him and we we left everything in order to acquire and possess the kingdom of heaven. So both both parables focus on the value of the kingdom and the joy of those who discover the treasure of eternal life. Uh, those who found the treasure in the field and that who discovered the valuable pearl, valuable pearl, had the wisdom to understand what they had found and determination to give up everything worldly to keep it. So they recognized the value of the treasure or the value of the pearl in the same way, in the same time, they made a decision and we are determined to give up everything to acquire and the question to all of us right now what do you value in your life? do you value the message of Christ above everything else? or do we value the riches of the world? or the glory of the world? or the pleasure of the world? what do we value in our life? the third uh, parable, as I told you, he said three parables to the disciples and four parables to the multitude. So this chapter has seven parables. The third parable to the disciple, f- verse 47 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, They drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Here actually the Lord said this parable to the disciples only, to tell them you are the fishermen, and now you will become fisher of men. You will go into the sea of this world and try actually to catch men into the net of the church. Now you know the value of this message, it's like this pearl, it's like this treasure, after you know the value, you need to go and catch people into the net of the kingdom, net of the church, net of the kingdom of God. The world here is like sea, you know, many waves uh, in, the, in the sea, and, and actually, we can see how uh, the world is unsettled, one day is, is like uh, this wave and another day calm third day is lot of trouble. So the world is like sea. And men is like fish in the sea. Preaching the gospel is like casting a net into the sea. But to catch something uh, out of it to, for his glory, for the glory of God. Because God is the supreme ruler of this world. But when we preach, or when the disciples preach, who came to the church? Both true Christian and hypocrites. That's why we expect inside the net of the church, as in the net, there was good fish and bad fish, also we expect in the church people that are caught by the net, we have Hypocrites and we have true Christian. So they will be together. And in this parable, we did not see the fishermen uh, were stopping to separate the good fish from the bad fish. And again, allowing them together in the net, allowing the hypocrites with the true Christian in the church to give opportunity for the hypocrites to repent and to be transformed into good fish into righteous people and again in this parable the lord emphasizing that this separation between good and bad will happen only in the harvest in the end of the ages when actually the men will be dragged into the shore, that is the end of the world. And here the angels will separate the good from the bad. So the fishermen cannot stop to sort while they are drawing the net. So the preacher of the Gospel uh, also, they, they should serve all, whoever is in the net, and try to lead those unrepentant sinners to repentance. So, emphasis here, the angels will separate the wicked from the just at the uh, last day. So, the Lord Jesus Christ had spoken the f- first four parables in the hearing of the multitude. But the last three parables He reserved it till uh, on the dismissal of the multitude. He said these three parables only to the twelve. Then actually the Lord in verse 51, He asked them a question. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. This question, have you understood these things? The Lord actually showed them uh, that these parables are of great importance in our life, and we need to understand them and to consider them again and again, because these parables can help us in in our spiritual uh, journey. That's why we should be diligent and wise uh, to understand the mysteries of the Kingdom of God and also to preach Because without understanding them, how can we preach them to others? That's why he said to the twelve, you need to be wise, not only for yourselves, but also because it is your responsibility to preach the Gospel to the others. That's why he concluded by another, we can say a parable or a comment, verse 52. Then he said to them, therefore, Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of God So he's telling them you are like the scribes who are instructed in the kingdom of God It's like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old The scribes in the Old Testament and in the time of Christ were considered, actually, the theologians of uh, the Synagogue. They were called scribes because they used to write, to transcribe the scripture. And while they were writing it, they were able, actually, to interpret it. That's why they were considered the theologians. And they were well trained to interpret the law and to understand the other volumes of sacred scripture written by the Holy Spirit. So here the Lord is telling to them, now you will be the scribes and actually uh, we have them wrote to us, Matthew wrote the Gospel of St. Matthew, so he became a scribe, John wrote to us the Gospel of John, three letters, the book of Revelation. Peter wrote to us uh, two letters. So they became scribes. So he told them, you instructed scribes, faithful and skillful. When you become well versed in the things of the kingdom and you are able to preach them, then you will be like a household, a master, who brings out of his treasure to his family things good, uh, things sorry, old and new. Before telling them you are the scribes, he told them how the treasure is priceless. The message they are preaching, it's like the pearls, like the treasure and it is their responsibility to go and cast men to catch people into the kingdom of God. So now you are like a father, father of the family, and this father bring from his treasure new and old and distribute to his children according to their needs and according to their wants. In the Gospel of Saint Luke, the Lord spoke about the steward who give his servant their food in its due season. So here the scribe has to give the spiritual food in its due season. And he should bring from his treasure old and new. What does it mean to bring old and new? While he is explaining the mysteries of the New Testament, actually He will interpret through the figures and the symbols of the Old Testament. Christ is hidden in the Old Testament, but He is revealed in the New Testament. And you cannot preach the New Testament without going back to the Old Testament. Because in the prophecies and in the Old Testament, Christ was hidden. You cannot understand actually the Eucharist without studying the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. You cannot understand the church of the New Testament without understanding the tabernacle of meeting. So, from the old and new, you will be preaching the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he he told them, you will be like a father who brings from his treasure old and new. St. John Christum said this was a proverbial expression with the Jews to signify everything useful or necessary for the provision of the family. So old and and new means I will teach and I will use everything that's needful uh, 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 to provide to the family of God, to the Church. So the pastor or the preacher of souls should shed light upon the mysteries of the New Testament by the figures of the Old and explain the working of grace by the operation of the nature. Verse 53 Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables He departed from there when he had come to his own country, Nazareth of Galilee. He taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So apparently he did not only teach, but also he performed many miracles and he impressed them. They were astonished at his teaching and at his uh, works. But instead of believing in him, they were offended to him. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and this mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brother James, Joseph, and Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Although they saw clearly how he actually has a divine uh, image but they rejected him and they were offended to him and actually they focused who is his father, who is his mother, who are his brothers and sisters. That's why the Lord responded and said, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works, there because of their unbelief. He decided not to do many works or many miracles there or teaching because of their unbelief. So, uh, the Lord actually, as it was his custom, when he went to his city, he went to the synagogue to preach, and most probably on Sabbath as this was his custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They were astonished but while they admitted uh, he has no no other body preached like him or performed mighty works like him but they offended at him. They thought that they knew him and knew his family and knew his father, mother, brothers and sisters, but in reality they did not know that he is the Son of God. While they considered they are knowledgeable, they proved to be ignorant. They could not imagine that this man, Jesus, who came from this poor family, now actually uh, has this amazing uh, character. Uh, and they questioned how this poor man came by such inspiring and divine knowledge, by what power he performed such wonderful things, because he w- were, they were considering him just a mere man, just man, uh, and not only a mere man but maybe of disgraceful uh, nature from a poor family. His father is a carpenter, uh, his mother is merely this uh, poor orphan, and his brothers and sisters. His brothers, as Saint Jerome explained, are his cousins. But there is another opinion, but our church does not hold to this opinion. The other opinion they say is that Joseph the carpenter was a widow and he had children from a previous marriage and these children, the brothers of Jesus, are the sons of Joseph. But the church actually followed the teaching of St. Jerome that these brothers are his cousins, not step brothers or half-brothers from Joseph. And apparently, uh, also the Lord Jesus Christ had uh, female cousins. Uh, they referred to them here also as his sisters. These people uh, of his, uh, his countrymen, not knowing that he was the wisdom of God and the power of God, uh, actually they were offended to him. Uh, And God actually gives them opportunity by teaching and by performing miracles, but here willingly they rejected to believe. So we can say some people reject to believe because of ignorance, they did not hear the message. But what about these people? They were not all ignorant, they heard the message, and they saw the miracles, but they choose not to believe. That's why they destroyed themselves. Uh, And the Lord, in response, He refused to do many works there because of their unbelief. And we can see here how unbelief is considered a great hindrance to Christ's favors. In most of the miracles that he performed, he asked for their faith. So we can say unbelief and contempt drive Christ out of the heart. When we start doubt him, or we become contempt with him, this drive Christ out of our heart as they drove him out of his own country. But on the other side, faith is what actually opened our heart to receive Christ. Faith was the condition that Christ asked for before any miracles. Uh, If you read the Gospel of St. Luke, you will find that the people did not only spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ, but they wanted to kill him. They wanted actually to throw him from over the mountain. And many scholars said what's mentioned in Matthew chapter 13 is actually what St. Luke mentioned in uh, Luke chapter 4 from verse 16 to 30 when actually they wanted to throw the Lord Jesus Christ from above the mountain. Most of the scholars say it is the same incident. But other scholars say no. This happened twice. The first incident that was mentioned in Luke chapter 4. But the Lord went another time to his own city to give them another opportunity. But again when he went the second time also they were offended by him. So, other scholars suggest that the account in Matthew chapter 13 was Jesus' second attempt to preach to the people in his hometown, but they rejected him in the game. Uh, That's why the Lord here left and he told them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And I will leave you with this question, to what extent we are honoring Christ? Are we making him the ruler of our heart, ruler of our life, the king and the master, or we are dishonoring him? To what extent we are believing in him? Are we in conflict with him, disobeying him, casting him, out of our hearts or who are honoring him? We are his own people, but does this verse apply on us? A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. You are at the house of God. Are we honoring Christ or dishonoring him like his own countrymen? Glory be to God forever and ever.